In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Arabiah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by the lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of uh, incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. It was like this. <laughs> anyway, um, and... <laughs> But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and will go before him in his, the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of the service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for the five months she kept himself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Today begins our Advent journey of remembrance and interpretation, so we light the first candle on our Advent wreath, the candle of hope. So hope is our assurances that God will finish what he has started. Hope is our confidence that God will be faithful and always with us. Hope is the light that makes a way even in the darkest of times. We look forward to the coming of Jesus, the promised one who comes from God to bring good news of salvation. He is our hope, he is our neighbor, and he is our savior. As a ministry staff, when we were talking about Advent, what we wanted to talk about was how God uses folks in 
kind of uh, these really down and out circumstances, these even shameful circumstances, and how he's able to redeem them in this really beautiful, marvelous way. And we're going to start out with Elizabeth and Zechariah, and then we'll talk about other uh, characters within that uh, Christmas story. Um, within um, this uh, early part of Luke, we, we notice that all of the Gospels have John the Baptist in them, but uh, the Gospel of Luke, which the Jardines just brilliantly read, is the only one to include the birth of John the Baptist. And I'm really grateful for Luke for his more detailed accounts, because otherwise we wouldn't have this type of information and what he recorded for us also in the book of Acts. Um, I'm really grateful to Luke also that he doesn't embellish uh, things. You know, he doesn't exaggerate about the stories either, uh, because then it's just like any other mythological writing where it's just like over the top, but he just kind of writes as it is and he just tells us as it is. And just as an uh, introduction to all of this uh, before the Jardine kids read, let's, let's look back the first four verses and how he addresses this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke is telling us that the product of his work and his writing here is one of being very thorough, that even as a historian, you can look back at this and see that he's very accurate, he's very precise. You can look at his writings on the geography and see that he's very precise. So it's very easy as a critic to look at his writing and say, like, you know, that guy's wrong, that, that there was no guy named Herod back then, that didn't exist. But he goes ahead and he tells us these things so that we can pinpoint time, place with all of this stuff. And he writes, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. So again, as a critic, years later, you can look back and say, there was no Herod, king of Judea. But there was. There's actually quite a bit written about this king. He's known as Herod, Herod the Great. Herod was a very, very cruel, very vindictive person. He was also the person that's very awesome architect. He's the person that created these great structures uh, all throughout uh, Israel and Palestine. But in terms of a person, he's a, a very, very horrible person. If you were a woman, you would be afraid of your honor. If you were a man, you would be afraid of your life. No one was safe around this guy. And so he actually even ordered the execution of his favorite wife, Mary Amney, and their two sons because he was threatened by them thinking, you know what, they, they might overthrow me, so I'm just going to kill them. And from his first wife, Doris, he also killed that other son, being really paranoid and suspicious that this son was going to take over power from him. So this guy was just a, a very, very suspicious, very neurotic person. The emperor Augustus even said this about him, it is better to be Herod's pig than son. And so he was so insecure that, that he, when he heard that these babies, that a baby was born in Bethlehem, and he was informed by these wise men from, from out, of, out of that area, 
that he was going to be king, this baby was going to be king. He's like, oh, really? And he orders the infanticide of all boys under two years old within that entire region. And Matthew records this for us, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So history, it's not just Christian history, tells us that this is a really, really terrible person. It's a very dark period during this time in history. And there is a madman who is the king. He's the king of Judea. And yet, it's God who's getting ready to bring in light. God was sending a person, John the Baptist, who was going to be pointing people to the light, Jesus, the Messiah. Maybe this morning you find yourself in darkness. Your circumstances that are surrounding you, um, the things that are happening in your household, in your city, in our world. And we are reminded that God is at work in the darkness. And maybe you feel that God has been so silent for so long that doubt is starting to creep into your mind. And it's not all that hard to even think that why people even wonder if God even exists anymore because he's been too silent for them. Well, we have to think back in history again before this happened to Zechariah and Elizabeth and to think about, you know, there was a 400 year of, years of prophetic silence between Malachi and where we find ourselves this morning in this part of Scripture. A really dark period a very silent period where people did not hear from God for 400 years. Now, to just kind of give us an idea of how long 400 years is, it's twice the age of our nation. You know, it's a long time. And in those periods of silence and in those periods of darkness, we might be tempted to succumb to that darkness. We might be tempted to succumb to doubt. But we have to know that God is at work in darkness. That he's at work in ways that might not seem all that apparent. God hasn't forgotten his promises and this news comes from this elderly couple. There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Now, we were just introduced to this extreme narcissist in Herod. And then that very next verse, we're introduced to this really humble priest named Zechariah. So this is kind of jolting. This is taking like a sharp left turn. And we're told that he's of the division of Abijah, which wasn't some really renowned division of the priesthood like Levites or anything like that. It's a really small one. First Chronicles speaks of this division, and we're introduced to his wife there in, in that same verse. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we have this lowly priest, and his wife was also a part of a priestly lineage. He's, she's a daughter of a priest. And so here we have this couple from a priestly heritage, and they were both known to be righteous people. 
Now, here is where things kind of take another sharp turn, because people who do any sort of background research, and there's a ton available on Herod, we'll find that he's a very prideful, powerful, mean-spirited narcissist. And then we meet Elizabeth and Zechariah. It's just not too much recorded about them. There are volumes and volumes and volumes of books that you can read about someone like Herod. Not too much about Zechariah and Elizabeth. These humble, righteous, devoted people who are chosen by God to usher in light into darkness. It's funny how God recognizes people that people, people, other people don't. Now, I realize that we live in very dark times. Things that are going around in our world, things that are going around in Northern California with so many people displaced, immigration issues happening down at south in our border there. There's just a lot of things that are happening that are dark. But God is at work in darkness, and that is where God shines brightest. And even though it may not seem evident when God is at work in darkness, he is, and he keeps his promises. Let's look at verse 6 here. It reads, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Elizabeth, <clears throat> Zechariah, they're good people. They're nothing like Herod. They, they loved, they served, they obeyed God. They were blameless as, as much as a couple could be. Of course, they're not perfect, but they're, they're recorded as being really good people. They're raised in good lineages, right? They, they were raised in these priestly lines, even through that darkness, even through that silence of 400 years. Think about this, that their generations remained faithful while other people fell away. Yet Zechariah and Elizabeth, even though 400 years in the generations before them, they remained faithful. So everything looks good about them until we get to verse 7. But they had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, to us, may not seem like a big thing, because if you don't have a child, that's fine. No one thinks twice about that. That's fine. But back in this day, if you did not have a child, it was a huge stigma against you. People wondered what was wrong with you, because there was a belief that God was against you. Because if everything else seems great on the outside but you don't have a child, then you're secretly hiding something that's happened, either individually or together, that, you know, everything looks great for you guys on the outside, Elizabeth and Zechariah. You're, you're from priestly lines. You guys seem to be devoted, faithful people. You seem all, but I, I just wonder, what's going, what are you hiding? That God hasn't blessed you with children. Like, what's going on? You're, you're barren, because this is a sign of God's displeasure with you. So what we have here is a very dark time under the rule of Herod, but it's also a very, very dark time for them in their private lives, just Elizabeth and Zechariah as a couple, because they have no children, and people around them are questioning, what's wrong with you? Something's going on with you. Are you really righteous? Are you really blameless? Because you don't have any children. So their family and their friends and the people within the priesthood, everyone around them questioning who they really were because she was barren. So it's a miserable time for them in terms of just 
where they're living. They live in Judea. They're under the thumb of Herod. It's not a fun time for them and just kind of culturally in their society because people around them are questioning who they really are. Where's God in all of this? I've been faithful. I've been obedient. I've, I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. And yet I have a life like this. Now, what does Elizabeth mean? What does that name mean? It means oath of God. Oath of God. What does Zachariah's name mean? Zachariah's name means remembered of Jehovah. So they don't know why they don't have children, but they know God works in the darkness. They know Elizabeth's name means oath of God, so God keeps his promises. They know Zachariah's name means remembered of Jehovah, so they know that God remembers. So God keeps his promises. God remembers. Now, verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, the, the division of Abijah was, was up for some priestly duties at the temple, and so Zechariah was, was serving under this division, and even though he was an elderly man, there was no retirement for this division of priests, so he had to perform these duties. Now, Zechariah was very well known in the temple, obviously, because he had been working there for a really long time, and he doesn't have kids, so he's going to stick out. They're going to think, like, a priest with no kids? What? Like, what's going on? And so he's supposed to be this blameless, righteous priest, but he didn't have a child. And, and then continuing on that verse, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This is uh, pretty significant because this is not an everyday occurrence that happens here. This is more like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There's only one temple, right? There's only one temple, but there are thousands of priests serving at the temple every day. Now, not every division of the priesthood serves in the temple every day, so your, your priestly divisions uh, kind of were broken up, but every day in the temple, there were 20,000 priests that were serving in the temple on any given day. And so you wouldn't be a priest that served there every day. But when your division was serving there, you'd serve there. And then so this assignment of burning incense was assigned by lot. So lottery, you, you just, just by lottery. So the chances of getting to do this are, are really, really slight, even though it happened once in the morning and once in the evening. But this was looked upon as an assignment of privilege because it was very unique. It was a very rare opportunity to get this churchy opportunity. I had to throw in Nacho Libre in there. But... <laughs> And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So here's this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and then he gets interrupted. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now we know this to be a very common reaction when people uh, encounter angels is trouble and fear, right? No one says like, hey, how you doing, man? It's a long time. <laughs> Man, just have a seat. I'm burnt some incense, but don't worry about it. I, I, it only happens once in my life, but it's okay. Come on, here, come here. Let's have some tea. You know, they don't do that. 
Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. These are the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. This is the shepherds, right? Verse 13, back in our story, Luke chapter 1. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You know, um, when... I've heard this taught many times, and a lot of times I've heard that uh, Zechariah's prayer was for a son. I don't think it is anymore. Why, why, why do I think this? Dude's old. That time's past. Maybe he did, you know, years and years ago, but after a time when he's noticed that his wife is... That's not happening. All right. Not happening. Pray for something else now. I think his prayers shifted. I think his prayers are the same as Simeon's prayer in chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, an older guy, just like him. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I think Zechariah's prayer was also for the consolation of Israel. He's also a devout and righteous person. Praying for God to come into the darkness after this long, silent period of centuries. And I think that that's what his prayer is being answered by. Answered in a way that is not just going to benefit everyone and that the light is piercing the darkness, but God is also going to answer in a very personal way to their personal darkness that he didn't even know. You know how good God is. He just knows. He doesn't just care about what's going on in the world, but he really cares about what's going on in your life. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, what does John mean? John means Jehovah is a gracious giver. This child is not just going to be the cause of rejoicing for Elizabeth and Zechariah. Many will rejoice at his birth. Many. And so it's God piercing the darkness, breaking through that silence. Verse 15, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. John will be great before the Lord. That, that is true greatness. To be great before the Lord. Not before people. You know, being great before people can be covered in lies. Herod was great before people. But to be great before the Lord. Being great before the Lord, there are no lies. It is done in all truth. Everything is in the light. Everything is visible. It is exposed. Nothing is hidden. And so to be truly great before the Lord means you're truly great. Because you can fool a person. Luke chapter 7, verse 28, it reads this, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. No one is greater than John. He's a godly man. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 16, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people 
prepared. John will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, you, re- you remember the last prophet to speak was Malachi 400 years ago. So turn back to Malachi chapter 4, last book of the Old Testament, right before the New Testament begins. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it reads this, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Sound anything like Luke chapter 1, verse 17? So we see, we read God's redemptive plans here unfolding here right before Zechariah's eyes who definitely would have known Malachi. And that God is at work. And he's even at work when we don't respond well to what he says to us. Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife... I like how he changes his wording here. is advanced in years. Brilliant man. Smart man. Very, very wise. So Zechariah, he's doubting. It's been a long time since anyone has heard from God. But rather than falling down in worship, angel, whoa, he questions. He questions who he is. He questions who his wife is. He's like, Dude, have you seen me? I'm, I'm old, man. Like, are, are you kidding me? But you know, even in our doubt, just as in the darkness, God is at work. And thank God that God's way of doing things does not hinge on you or me. That he still works in our doubt that his purposes will be accomplished even in your doubt. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I think Gabriel's kind of ticked off and fed up right here. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I... Zechariah, wake up. I, I'm one of God's. I was sent by him to deliver this, and you're, you're like saying this back to me. This wasn't even my idea. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Probably not the sign he was hoping to get. Right? He was probably hoping, like, oh, make me young again. And, you know, me and Elizabeth, we can have a kid. You know, it'd be great. But it seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? You're just going to strike me silent? I'm not going to be able to speak? I've been talking for my whole life. I'm a priest. I'm like a pastor. I talk all the time. Like, you know, give me a mic and it goes on forever. And so you get this awesome revelation, but you can't even talk about it. You see, the lack of belief that we have in God, it does yield some very severe consequences. And those who don't believe God's word, 
you'll face a judgment. You'll face a consequence. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of his grace leads to life. And to deny Jesus Christ is to deny his gift through his death on the cross for our judgment. And if anyone doesn't receive this gift of Jesus taking on our judgment, then we will receive that judgment for ourselves. Now, this judgment will be fair. The judgment will be final, but there is a judgment. Now, I know there are people who doubt that there is a judgment. Here's something that I want to ask you, for those of you who believe this. What if you're wrong? And then you're leading people down the same path that you're on. And what if you're wrong? Now, people in Zechariah's day doubted. There was this 400 year of, of God being silent, and people are doubting today because they think that they haven't heard God speak. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had a vi- seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. So he was there for a while, but couldn't say anything about it. Uh, no sign language yet, so people are just wondering, like, what in the world are you? What? What is this? And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God answers prayers in his time and in his way. And sometimes this is so hard for us to accept because we want it in our time, we want it in our way. And so even when things seem really dark and they seem really silent and we doubt, God is still at work because God remembers, God keeps his promises. God is a gracious giver. And it's not just on this world macro level, but just on a very private level. He shows up for the individual. He shows up for Elizabeth and Zechariah. And he raises up his servants in every generation. And those servants are uh, to remind everyone else that God remembers and he keeps his promises. And he's a gracious giver. Now, over 2,000 years have passed, and there are scoffers throughout human history during that time. And we are to remain faithful in this darkness. We are to remain faithful in this silence. We are to remain faithful when we doubt on our own. I just want to close this message by reading a letter Peter wrote in 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient. Patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that we don't have to be mighty and powerful in order to be used by you as evidenced by Zechariah and Elizabeth when we compare them to people like Herod. That out of our dishonor out of our shame, out of our brokenness, out of our darkness, out of our doubt, you bring gracious gifts like you gave them John. Even when they had this stigma about them, even when they were under the thumb of Herod, you were still working. And as our, you are continuing to work in our lives individually as, in, as well as in our world simultaneously, we pray, God, that we would remain faithful as we can be, even though we realize there are these periods and times of doubt, but that there would be a remnant there large enough that you would be using us to usher in light to a dark world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.